Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez International Podcast with me, Dan Worth. In this episode, we chat with Vanita Appul, the director of the British School of New Delhi in India, to hear about major CPD reforms she's instigated in the school in order to help staff grow and develop together and ensure a consistency of teaching across the school. She outlines the scale of this work and how it was developed, the topics decided on for the courses, and why this is a process of constant evolution. She also explains why the next stage of this CPD plan is to provide something similar for all administrative staff to ensure the entire school is developing together. All that and lots more on the TES International Podcast. Vanita, welcome to the TES International Podcast. A real pleasure to chat with you. Um, really looking forward to our conversation. Tell us a bit, though, before we dive into that, tell us a bit about your role, the school you're based at, how you came to be there, um, and then we'll go from there. Thanks very much, Dan. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here chatting with you finally. Uh, so I'm uh, Vanita Uppal. I'm at the British School New Delhi. Uh, this is my ninth year of headship. I'm the director of the school. And something that might really shock your listeners, I've been at the school for 32 years. And uh, I've, I began as a teacher of history and uh, did a multiple roles, did multiple roles in the school, deputy principal, secondary school principal. And I've been the head for the last nine years. Uh, the school is uh, located in the heart of Diplomatic Delhi. Uh, it's a not-for-profit uh, international school. The British High Commissioner to India is the president of our society. And we offer the English National Curriculum up to grade 9. Then IGCSE is with Cambridge and IBDP at the top end. Uh, we are almost a microcosm of the globe. Currently, we have students from about 63 nationalities. We are 1,300 plus strong as a school community and a very vibrant, dynamic school community based on um, a very strong homeschool partnership and a value-driven organization driven with its mission of thrive, believe, and succeed for everyone. Mm. That, in a nutshell, is us. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, so many interesting sort of facts and figures and, and so forth there. And that's an amazing career trajectory. You must have seen... A lot of change in those in those 32 years. Indeed, I have. When I joined the school, we were about 280 students and we are now 1,330 and counting. Yeah. We were in a care-worn building on the same campus and I've, I've been, uh, I was charged with completing the second phase of the building. We are now in a state-of-the-art campus, uh, which has a five-star uh, green sustainability rating. And so, yeah, it's been very exciting. We've doubled in capacity since I've taken over as head. So, yeah, very, very exciting journey indeed. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah. And I think the last thing maybe worth mentioning is your school is about 60 years old. Is that right? 60. This is the year of our Diamond Jubilee. In 60 years of being immersed in British international education. And so loads of celebrations going on. Six events for six decades. Alumni, current students, parents, friends of the school. Everybody's involved. So it's huge. And we are members of a lot of global organizations. Uh, Forbesia, I sit on the board of Forbesia. I chair the HMC International Division. We are members of COPUS. I sit on the IB Heads Council. So we are very well connected globally. Yeah. And 2014, I became the only Indian serving principal to receive an OBE for my contributions to education. So yeah. I think school is life and life is school for me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, amazing, amazing history and amazing reach and connectedness, which is, which is fantastic. And I mean, in, in a way, I think that leads us nicely into our conversation about 
CPD, you know, teacher development, because obviously you've, you know, you've had an amazing career journey yourself through that. Tell us a bit though, again, about, you, you sort of told me on email a little bit about new initiatives you sort of brought into sort of a teacher development. Tell us a bit about that and why you think that's so important then in the current moment. I think uh, one of the things we will understand and, and, you know, educators around the world will understand that teachers, the job of a teacher is probably the most valuable in the world because you're teaching someone's child. And if you don't invest in that teacher, if you don't invest in that teacher's growth and learning, and by growth, Dan, I don't mean titles and designations. I mean academic growth. I mean intellectual growth. If you don't invest in that, then I think you're really shortchanging the students you are here to serve. So for us, CPD is almost at the very heart of everything that we do, because we see that if there is no point, we want the experience of the learner to mirror the experience of the teacher. So if for the learner, the, te the teaching and the learning has to be dynamic, sustained, ongoing, inspiring, impactful, I can give you any number of adjectives. It has to be the same for the teacher. Right, so we have really evolved in our CPD uh, approach. Uh, like many schools, it's not new. Everybody has a multi-pronged approach to CPD. We do a lot of in-house stuff. We send teachers and leaders for workshops. We bring external trainers in. So there's nothing new with that. That everybody, every every school that of substance will be doing that, right? But a few years ago, this is about three years ago, this is just before COVID hit. One of the things that I was battling with as the head of school was in trying to get the same consistently good outcomes for teachers who were come, joining from different parts of the world, different national systems that they had been trained in. And how do you ensure that that is owned, is contextualized and is driven by us? Because CPD can't be done to you. You have to enjoy it and you have to co-create it. You have to co-own it. Now, these were all very nice cliched words, right? Yeah, it sounds good. But how are you going to do it? How are you actually going to put your money where your mouth is and make it happen? So, one, so I started thinking of it and I began to work on the premise that what it, I first decided the why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What am I embarking on? So the first was to create a bespoke professional learning and development pathway for staff at TBS. Because you referred to my trajectory, it happened by accident. So I didn't say, okay, when I'm 40, I want to be this, when I'm 45. It, it didn't happen like that. But I, don't, I didn't want accidental learning for my colleagues. I wanted it to be by design. So that was the first thing, to make it bespoke. We did want to align CPD for, to our strategic priorities, that the two couldn't be tangential to each other. So what we said was our strategic plan had to be lived and experienced at, by every member of staff. Well, only then would it get embedded. I wanted desperately to build capacity because I think uh, being a school head, one of the biggest responsibilities you have is to build capacity, to grow people, and to, and to do that in a way that you plan for succession in a systematic manner. I think every head must plan for their own figurative demise. So, and how do you do that? You need to distribute leadership, you need to build capacity. Now, that was, that was those were some of the reasons. The next one was that we, we did a lot of learning. We were learning a lot along, along the way like most schools do. 
it was all implicit it was up you know subliminal i wanted to change the approach to make it deliberate and explicit this is the time this is the structure that we are going to devote to teacher learning and not just say okay it'll happen by the by okay there will be pure observations and hopefully you learn what i'm trying to teach you and i think finally the one piece that i think uh we tend to ignore to our own detriment is that adults continued continue like students to need to be inspired you need to have a dream beyond yours and how do you create that dream how do you weave that dream and make it come true for people so there were a lofty a lot of lofty aims but then we said okay how are we going to achieve this so the first thing you do like uh, uh they said like this one colin says in his book that you have to get the right people on the bus so i i curated a group of colleagues who i knew would be equally passionate about doing something like this and we then began the journey of what are we going to do to bring this bespoke program to create this and to bring it to life yeah no, absolutely I, mean, i think you know fascinating sort of overview of, of what you want to achieve and why and i think a lot of um leaders listening to that will, will be nodding along and thinking yeah that's absolutely right but yes as you say it's great words but then the, the how is often the harder bit isn't it but so again tell us what did you do and how did you do it we began as you always do with an audit of our current offerings what were we currently doing so we did that we then said okay next step what is what is missing in this what is it we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater but what needs is this program still not fulfilling good and robust though it is okay so then we had our wish list that what is it that we want to do and a few things became very clear as these discussions carried on i must add it took me about 10 months to put this together mm. okay it took us i mean up an entire academic year to put this together to, uh, very simply so we said okay what what is it that we want to do one we said if learning if effective learning for students is differentiated we need to have differentiated learning uh, possibilities for staff so we then began creating groupings okay because we looked at the current staff how would we categorize them if there was such a word okay teachers who were new to tps teachers who were coming from uh, the national curriculum teachers who were immersed in international education but in a different school existing teachers who had been at the school for 5 years and many thought they knew at all okay so that was one that was one block okay hmm. the other was what i was very keen to create was teacher leaders there are many excellent teachers excellent practitioners who don't want to go into what they call the dark side of administration so i don't want to ever be the head of department of math but i want to be the best math teacher the school has ever had right so we hmm. wanted to make that possible through this experience through this experience that yes we recognize that as well you don't have to be a leader with a designation or a title but you can excel in your chosen field of passion the second pathway that we created was for aspiring leaders and new leaders right so that is so that's the grouping we began with okay i must tell you that some of this collapsed on the logistical front but we haven't given up yet we're still working with that so we said okay now we know who this is for the next part was what what is it that we need to do okay the how we said okay we'll create the group this group will drive it eventually it came down to myself and my two deputies one from primary one from secondary it was the three of us who 
drove this entire program and curated it. And we said, okay, now what, let's come to the what. What is it that we want to do with this? Okay, we made the groupings, what is it? We then came up with a number of themes. Okay, what is it that's critical for a new teacher's success? Which meant onboarding of new staff was also revamped as a collateral, as a byproduct of this. Because if it's ongoing, a teacher who's new to school first six months, what do you want her to know? How do you expect her to quickly become part of the mainstream and get, you know, become part of the fiber? How do you do that? So onboarding and the induction of new teachers was another module. Didn't intend to develop it when we started, but it became an excellent byproduct of this. And we've implemented that new program for three years to an absolute, you know, resounding success because we've thought everything through with that. Then, uh, Dan, we began developing themes, okay? And we said, okay, first big one is school culture, okay? Teaching and learning is obviously critical, but the first thing people must understand is what is the TBS way of doing things? What is the organizational culture? What's not cool to do here? What is a must-have here? So that. Then we talked about teaching and learning. We talked a lot about reflective practitioners because that's very critical to us. It's part of our mission statement as well. Assessment, teaching and learning. Of course, all that, as in that's our bread and butter. Now we went through about, I think, nine themes. We kind of condensed it into four. Four strands emerged. Now for each of these strands, we created bespoke modules. That is all the three of us doing this, okay? Created bespoke modules for each. So what would TBS, what would school culture look like? Okay, then began the research then. What is international best practice? Where is the latest research on this? So then we brought that in, okay? Once we had that, we decided, okay, these are the four, mod these are the four strands. These are going to be the four each modules that we, then we tried to get practical with it. Okay, if it's four, mod four strands, we want everyone to have the same number of modules for ease of, you know, implementation. We then said, okay, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's look outside as well. Let's look at external providers. Some of them who might be already having ready-made modules that we can customize to ourselves. So we then did another piece of research on who would be the best providers for our context. And where would that training sit? And through all this, we came to a resounding conclusion that for the first two years, we are not going to use any external providers. We're going to do this ourselves. Mm. We then began looking at who. We then began to reach out to colleagues, bring them into the conversation, and said, this is what we are planning to do. Would you be interested? So we then appointed uh, strand leaders. Okay, that eight people leading four strands. I'm kind of breaking it down in what it actually meant, the, the logistics of it, because the grandest vision very often falls flat because the implementation uh, is not uh, No, right. I agree. The, the devil's in the detail. And, and I say you've got to get it right. And it's very interesting to hear this, the actual, the actual real kind of front line. We have to do this many people, this many modules. So no, that, this, is, this is fascinating. We did that. And then each of the strand leaders, we gave them five to six people across cross fees, primary, secondary. Okay, the third bit that still hasn't come into play, which I'm going to launch next year, is for the administrative staff. That is, we've started developing that as well. But that's for the admin. Because we've been very successful for this, we want to do it for the admin team as well. So when we did this, now we had a core group of about 
24 people. Okay, we then began dialoguing with them. And then they began decoding each of the modules. You know, so we discussed overarching aims and the rest we gave to the strand and the module leaders. Because I also wanted to empower my people. So if I was going to sit there and curate everything, this entire exercise was futile. So they were creating it, they were planning the strategies, they were doing the interactions, they were doing that. We then, at our week-long uh, uh, start of the year in-service program, gave a taster of each of the modules. And that was just spectacular. Spectacular. The way each of the strands presented what they were going to do through the year. And then we created the time and the structure for these sessions to be ongoing because you can't do it at the start of the year and say, job well done and move on, right? With this continued for the full year, the full year, we then did a whole exercise on reflection. What are we actually using? What's changed in practice? And that was done in smaller teams. We then got feedbacks from, feedback from all teams. And this year, we've, we've based our second version 2.0 and we call it the Fountainhead. I teach, I inspire. That's what it's called. Mm. So the second version of Fountainhead, the second year, is slightly different from the first. So we've reduced one strand, amalgamated it into another, brought in new people. And what did I have? I had teachers volunteering. I want to do this too. People who had never presented, who had never gone in front of an audience to present, an audience of colleagues. And some of these teachers, some of these leaders, Dan, and are presenting at Phobos here, they're presenting at IB, because it's this confidence that, yeah, I can do it. And adults yeah. are, are a difficult audience. Your own colleagues are probably the toughest yes. audience, right? Yeah. But the, but the net result, so that is what it's done for teachers, for students. What we are now mapping is the impact on their performance, on their learning. Mm. Yeah. This means nothing if the student learning is not improved. So that was one of the things we did. There was another initiative, but if you want me to talk more well, about the this, thing, I... the thing I'd like to know about that is you, you talked about the the themes, the four themes, or is it is it now three? If I understand, but what were they? What were those four topics, and what have they now become? At the start, we had uh, teaching for high quality learning, assessment, reflective practitioner, and school culture. Mm. So what we've now done is we've uh, amalgamated the reflective practitioner. Into all three, onto all three themes. Right. There is a you know element of reflection in each of the three modules. Yeah. And uh, school culture is now taking the biggest chunk of our time. Mm. This year we created five early release days for students. So on all these five days we are running ninety minutes each of these sessions. So, so it's not just about having the vision; you have to create the structure for it as well. And now, as an offshoot of this, there are so many other things that have happened. But I don't know whether we have enough time to talk about well, that. No, we just said there's, there's a lot to talk about. But again, just to clarify on that there, so you're saying you had early release days. So that was to free up the time for the staff right. to, to be able to do these modules during the year. And I was going to ask, how long do the modules last in each each one? Is it got a set time? I mean, we've again looked at best practice. None of the modules are longer than 90 minutes. So they're 90-minute modules, uh, which is where the session happens. Mm. But post that is where the dialogue happens in curriculum teams, in your group teams, etc. But the actual delivery of the session is 90 minutes. So we, we did a long session at the start of the inset, at the start of the year, then five modules, then five early release days, plus something in January, which is going to be a full day. So that's how we've structured it in terms of making it happen.
You touched on this earlier when you talked about the very different types of teachers you'll have in your setting, you know, early career teachers, local teachers coming in, other international teachers. How did you sell it to them? Because I could imagine some would see this and think, fantastic, lots of opportunities to learn and grow, brilliant. Others, as you sort of suggested, will think, well, I do all this already. I've been here for years. I don't need to know all this. How do you make sure that it, it sort of works for everyone and you've got everyone on board to, to say, this is why we're doing this? I think one of the, one of the uh, that's something I've done with every big initiative I've launched, is that I've never brought it in cold. I've never brought it in because it was, oh, I think it's a great idea, so I'm going to introduce it. Through this entire one year, we continue to speak with colleagues. We continue to take feedback from them because we had just come off a cycle of PLCs. So everybody was already engaged in that, you know, action research, learning. They were already engaged in that. Now this became, yeah, you're right. I mean, everybody's not jumping up and down and saying, oh, wow, this is great. I'm going to do it. But I think, I think the, the pivot was how is it making a difference to how you are doing and how is it making not your job easier, but how is it making you do it differently along with colleagues without the risk of failing, without anybody sitting in judgment that, oh man, why are you trying this new stuff? So I think that became the seller then. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that you saw your colleagues who you were having coffee with every day, who you never thought would go up and present 20 minutes of a session and do a darn good job. That was inspiring. That was inspiring for people. And to at least, I think, initially, at least five or six teachers came to me. My God, thank you for recognizing because these teachers are the ones who are always approached to take on some additional responsibility and they don't want to. Mm. And they said, finally, there is something that says that I'm equally valued if all I want to do is just be the best teacher ever. Because mm. schools don't tend to do that. The best teachers usually take on positions of responsibility. And if you don't, then you are, you know, just a teacher. Mm. And now... In the next iteration of this, these people are going to become lead teachers, lead tutors, lead mentors for us. So it's it's like a cycle that I've started, a quiet revolution of sorts, I think. Yeah. So hopefully it'll have the effects that I wanted to have. But the first one and a half years have been absolutely phenomenal. And, and you hear this in parlance now. You hear this in common parlance and then you know it's getting embedded. Mm. And you know, when you hear two teachers, one from math, one from arts, saying, no, 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 I picked that up from the last session on Fountainhead. Oh, you didn't attend it? What happened? Why did you miss it? So you can see that it's 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 getting traction. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why it's so winner. No, that, that's great. And and in, and in a way, you, you were going to come on to this about the pupil, the impact on pupils, which again, I think you were sort of saying, it's like, this all kind of has to mean something, it has to mean something for pupils. So have, have you started tracking now? Can you see a change or is, that, is it still kind of first egg? We, we've started doing that through uh, through learning walks. To We've now started PD pop-ups uh, in, uh, in on every Tuesday, which is that, and you have to pick up one of the strategies you picked up at Fountainhead and talk about what difference did it make uh, to your teaching and learning or the delivery of what you were doing. Simultaneously with this, I began something called the Director's Reading Rule last year. We called it Pedagogy, Practice and Pastries. And where... I would pick up an article, a research article, share it in advance with colleagues, link it to what the next Fountainhead session was talking about and give them additional research. They don't have to go looking for the article. I sent it to them. And then I would have a 40-minute discussion with them about uh, what was new, what was surprising, what was reassuring. And so that is something that's... Because like I said, there is no, there is no one thing that you can do to do what you are... When I gave you the aims. One... 
There's no one size fits all. There is not one strategy that will work for everybody. Therefore, the multi-pronged approach has to stay. So we still get external trainers, teachers still go to workshops, they still present to their colleagues, all that is happening. But this was over and above that. And I suppose um, there's a question here, which you, you sort of touched on the fact it took you so long to put it together at sort of nine months or so forth. But but again, for you as a leader, when you've probably got, you know, obviously got a hundred other things to think about and deal with and unexpected things coming at you and obviously the pandemic alone, you know, how did you sort of find the time to put this all together? And, and again, like even the motivation, because there must be points where you were thinking, oh, this is a lot of work, but you obviously you see the benefit. But again, how did you sort of make that work for you if other leaders are listening and thinking, this is great, but how would I find the time? I think there are two things here, Dan. Number one, uh, I'm a sort of person, I believe that if it's something important, you make the time for it. Hmm. You make the time for it. The second, I think, which a lot of us in senior leadership are hesitant to do is to believe in delegating with trust and confidence. And I think uh, because I knew that the team I had with me, that I knew that we were all working on that same engine, that same energy. And I think we took the energy from each other. So when times when other stuff was happening, yeah. and, uh, maybe the latest thing on summative assessment wasn't really going to excite me when I had something really more, you know, pressing to deal with. I All I would do at the end of the day, we created these WhatsApp groups and I just said, okay, guys, sorry, I missed the last 15 minutes. What happened? And just that, just that touching base, just that keeping that constant momentum going. At times, my two colleagues were driving the momentum for two weeks when I was doing something entirely different. Then I would say, okay, fine, you guys, I'm picking this up now. So it really worked in a very... I think the synergy, I think getting the right people on the bus who had the same mission, the same passion and who were going to do it because we were so close. We, we knew as we were going through this process then, every cycle of what we did, we came up with a new idea and we'd look at each other and say, not again, let's just sit with this. And no, we would still come up with that. And then we'd go and talk about it, colleagues. And it was a cascading ripple effect. And we were feeding off that energy as well. Mm. It was a lot of work, no doubt. But tell me any, tell me anything good that can come through shortcuts. I don't think it does. In terms of then, so obviously you've got these modules created now. Um, but again, you sort of touched on this just then. But again, are they? I know you said the themes of amalgamated slightly and bring brought together. But again, are the modules being under assessment all the time? You know, do you look actually that one was really successful. Let's do more on that. That was didn't seem to land with people. So we did that. So we we when we did the end, end of year review, we said okay. This was the feedback on this. These kind of act, these two activities were really successful. We need to do more of this. This was too much, and we need to change that. So we worked through the summer on that with the new set of strand leaders. Then what needs to change, what needs to stay. And that, that iteration is constant, is constant. And, and we, we continue to meet, we continue to uh, develop this. Yeah. When I started this, I knew it would take at least two years. And I think probably two and a half, because now we're starting on the next, the next side, which is the administrative side. Yes, obviously that's that's a really big thing as as well, isn't it? Your administrative staff. Can we're con I'm conscious of time, but can you tell me a little bit more about what you're hoping to that to focus on and 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 drive for those staff? I think one of the things that happens with admin teams in schools is that their efficiency and support is taken for granted. And one of the things is that seems very strange is that my God, of course, I mean, what training can you give? executive assistance or what training can you give your 
you know, people, senior executives in this team and that team. Mm. As a school, we do administrative residential trainings every year for the admin team. We created PLCs for them as well. And that was the turning point for me when I created PLCs for the admin staff as well. So the themes were different. So here for the admin team, the themes will be, there will be school culture. There will be things like customer care. There will be uh, a dream team scenario. So the themes will be different. It will be delivered slightly in a different way because it's not a, the admin team is a heterogeneous team, right? It's, it's people from different skills and different departments who will come together. But the aim is similar, that we will be able to have people from the admin team, maybe with the assistance of the leadership team as mentors, will deliver this program. Again, it will be a year-long program. Yeah. That's the intention. That sounds great. And I suppose, again, what's the sort of overall purpose of that? I mean, it sounds sort of fun, obvious in a way, but you know, what do you want? Do you want the staff to get better at their job? Is it that you retain them for longer because they feel more satisfied in their job? What are the, sort of, all the big driving ambitions of that? I think, I think uh, I'm going to refer to uh, a statement that was made by a, a political leader years ago that you can't ignore, you can't, and that leader had said that women hold up half the sky, so you can't leave your women behind and hope that you will achieve success. In the same way, if you want to get better, continually better and thrive as a, as a school, you can't say that one element of the school can stay where they are and we go chucking ahead with the rest. It doesn't work mm. like that. So it's about valuing. It's about respecting, validating. And I think as a school leader, schools are places of learning, right? And I think it's my almost Michael Fullen style. It's almost a moral imperative to ensure that everybody who's in touch, who's working in your school, learns, gets upskilled, feels good about themselves, wants to come in skipping happily into work. And that doesn't happen just by salary raises, Dan. Yeah. It doesn't. People need to feel valued. They need to feel respected. They need to feel happy. They need to feel safe. And they need to feel that their learning, their progress matters to you. And that is, that's the overall picture. And of course, upskilling them, of course, all of that. But to me, the, the nub of it is that your schools are about people. So you can't take one set of people ahead and leave the others behind thinking they'll manage anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a very um, a very powerful answer. And I suspect a lot of um, leaders listening, hopefully, feel the same. Or perhaps it's making them think, you know what, maybe we have become a little bit too letting one side go, drive ahead and we're not thinking about the other side so much. I mean, you know, who knows? But I definitely think it's a really, really powerful way of thinking about it. And the last thing really to ask that is you, you've talked a lot about all these, these modules and the strands. They sound really interesting. Is this anything that is publicly available as a series that, you know, is there a, a, an image that shows this or a document or anything you'd be willing to share? Or can people get in touch with you if they want to know more or anything like that? What we are planning to do at the end of this semester is put exactly what you're saying together as a, a learning tool that we can share. And that is also happening simultaneously, not ready yet to be published publicly it's published internally yeah but not for the wider community but yes you have my email more than happy to talk to anybody uh, and or even direct them to my colleagues who've been part of the journey with me to answer their questions absolutely very happy to do that Dan. that's great well we'll maybe put a, put a reference to your to the school website and a contact form as well and then and then when that is made publicly front-facing you know then perhaps an article and we could link to it and share it because i think it sounds like a really useful resource and you've done so much hard work on getting it ready and Share it with the world. A <laughs> labor of love. Yes, yes. 
Absolutely, yeah. But it all sounds like it's very worthwhile. So, um, so thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's been really interesting. Um, I'm sure everyone listening will have found it equally interesting and, and hopefully given some really you know powerful ideas for their own CPD for, for teachers and for admin staff. So I think that's great. Um, so again, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your time and insights and enjoy the rest of your 60-year celebrations at the school as well. Thank you very much, Dan. It's been a pleasure. And if I could, I'd invite the whole world for our 60-year celebration. But yes, thank you so very much. It was a pleasure talking to you, Dan. Thank you.